This podcast is brought to you by Bespoke Posts, Box of Awesome, and by Keeps Hair Loss Treatment. Pete, I know you know a little bit about black holes. I, I do, because on What If, every... Eight third story. video. Eight <laughs> Sometimes yeah, it's yeah. like every third video. Yeah, we do a lot of black hole videos here. But that speaks to the fact that tons of people are fascinated with black holes. Fast, it's a fascinating subject because most people know nothing about them other than they're one black, and they're a black hole that sucks yes. stuff into them. And as we'll find out in today's show, there's going to be some myths and misconceptions about black holes that will be answered because a lot of the things we think we do know are starting to change. But that's why we have guests like physics professors on the show to be able to help us sort out things like what if our solar system orbited a black hole? Today, we're going to be joined by USC professor of physics, Clifford Johnson. But first, some good news for the what if discussed community. Well, that's right. Uh, This fall, as you get back into the swing of things, Bespoke Post has a brand new seasonal box of awesome collection for guys, guaranteed to upgrade your life. Uh, This month, I got the Aged Box, and that's a kit that lets me barrel age my spirits at home. And when I say spirits, I mean liquors. Which lifts your spirits. Sometimes it does. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm aging some gin right now, and you age it for 10 days, and today is uh, day 10, so I'll let you know how it goes. My box of awesome. Yeah? uh, A couple of things i was torn between the gadget thing that you know i live in a condo so anything that can sort of check the boxes on a million different tool applications is great but i ultimately the travel bag is super cool because I'm, I'm somebody who likes to if i'm going away for like 10 days or 100 days i want to carry on and that's it i was thinking of that one but i haven't been traveling anywhere lately thanks to also true yeah whether it's gear to upgrade your autumn craft beers or cozy threads for when the temperature dips bespoke posts only sends guys the best stuff every month No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. Like I said, it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel any time. So no uh, real commitment. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over 70 bucks worth of gear inside. I've got a bunch of extra money these days from uh, not spending cash on gas or transit. So 45 bucks seems quite reasonable. Especially to me. when you get double the value. Yeah, yeah, you get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code WHATIF at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code WHATIF, all one word for 20% off your first box. We're also brought to you today by Keeps. You know, Richard, as guys, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair, and that's why when we get a little older and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it Definitely feels like panic time. So face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. But thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You know, two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. They're not happy. And they would do anything they could to obviously sort of mitigate the inevitable baldness. So uh, mm-hmm. keep talking. Yeah. You and I are uh, pretty lucky here. I think we got we, a- we are lucky. Yeah. But, you know. There's other areas where we're deficient. It's true. The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have it. Get treated from home. 
You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They deliver your medication every three months, so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Prevention is the key. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash what if to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash what if. Giddy up. So let's get started. And again, like we talked about off the top, black holes, you and I, uh, superficial knowledge at best. Again, that's why uh, we like to have experts on the show to help us understand, in this case, what if our solar system orbited a black hole? I don't really know the answer. Would we get sucked in? Pretty sure you don't know the answer. (laughs) So we're joined by, again, Professor of Physics from the University of Southern California, Clifford Johnson. Uh, Professor, thanks for joining us. Hi. Great to be here. Uh, it sounds like a simple question to start, but it, we might as well go there. What is a black hole? Well, that is something that does come into various uh, of these fields in a way, because we think about the nature of space and time. And a black hole is fundamentally something very, very fundamentally different about space and time that we had thought of, that, that had been thought of until you know the last... Um, uh, uh, century uh, of, of, of work in great detail. And what it is, we, we understand in general, is simply a, a region of space where, for whatever reason, the gravitational pull is so strong that not even light uh, can escape from it. In the sense that, you know, if we wanted to get off this body here, Earth, uh, we, 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 send, we send rockets away uh, into space. And we do that by getting up to a certain speed, a certain escape velocity, which allows you to escape the gravitational pull. And uh, for reasons that we, we could go into, but, but let's not for now, uh, there's, a, there's a fastest possible speed that you can do in this universe, and it's the speed of light. So if you had a body that was so uh, gravitationally strong, that the escape speed was faster than the speed of light, then nothing uh, would be able to escape from it. And that's what a black hole is. Wow, there's there's various uh, levels of black hole, as I understand it. It's kind of like the Wendy's drive through There's your regular black <laughs> hole, and there's your supermassive black there's hole. There's a medium, a triple, a double. What's the difference between a regular and a supermassive black hole? Well, one of the amazing things about black holes is that they are, uh, by some definitions very, very complicated objects. And by other definitions, they are the simplest objects in the universe that we've ever encountered in, in, in physics. Uh, and so in some ways, the only difference between those different kinds of black holes that you talk about is how big they are. And so you have black holes that are, say, have roughly a few times the mass of our sun because they come from stars that have in some sense, died. They've gone to a new phase of existence where they're no longer glowing like stars and they collapse and they form this compact object. 
And so they have a mass that is essentially related to the stuff that collapsed. Um, but then you have regions of space, uh, for example, at the core of most galaxies, where there are black holes that are huge, hundreds of millions of times the mass of a typical star. And in some sense, they're very closely related to those smaller kinds of black holes. And they're also intermediate mass black holes. And some of us speculate that there may also be microscopic black holes uh, as a possibility of nature as well. All shapes and sizes. Kids meal. Yes, a kid's meal. Um, one of the, I, I guess, more recently, it's being called a misconception or a myth about black holes. I know for the most part in, in the sci-fi world, you know, it was always portrayed that you get sucked into a black hole. Basically, if you're, you know, in too close proximity to a black hole, well, that was it. You couldn't you couldn't help but get sucked in. That's not exactly true, is it? Exactly right. Again, you should think of a black hole as, uh, in many of its properties, it's very similar to any big blob of matter that you can have uh, if, you're, if you're far away enough uh, uh, from it. And so everything you can imagine doing in the vicinity of our sun, for example, like having various objects in orbit around it, essentially, uh, you know, for billions of years. You can do that with a black hole as well. Just because the black hole is there doesn't mean that it's some big vacuum cleaner that, mm -hmm. um, that sucks things in, uh, which is, you know, often portrayed that way and makes it feel like some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, intentional uh, behemoth. Yes. Um, no, they're, they're just gravitating objects like anything else. And so you can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can be near a black hole for an arbitrarily long time. The issue then is what happens if you get to that point of closest approach whereby you then didn't have enough uh, engine power to, uh, to escape, or even if you had all the engine power in the world, you couldn't get faster than the speed of light to get away. And that's called crossing the event horizon. And there is a point of closest approach, which you then wouldn't be able to, uh, at least classically, uh, and I could explain what that means, um, uh, escape. Uh, but if you're, if, you're, if you're not within the event horizon, in principle, you can, you can, you can approach and, and move away and it doesn't suck you in. Well, I guess the big what if for today is uh, what if uh, a, our solar system orbited a black hole? Is it possible? I think it, I think from what you're saying, it is possible for a planet or a solar system to orbit a black hole. But is it also possible for them to orbit a black hole and sustain life? I would say my guess is probably yes. Uh, and I can imagine a number of different scenarios uh, where that could where that could come about. So, for example, uh, well, let, let's first dispense with the issue of whether we think there may be other forms of life on other planets. Let's say that's not, um, not you know, beyond the, uh, the, the realm of possibility, and you've probably discussed that in other uh, shows. So yeah. let's say that there are uh, other stars for which there are other, uh, other maybe Earth-like or maybe not Earth-like, but they have uh, life. Now, it might be that that star uh, may have been part of a binary system, for example, where there, you have a double star, two stars orbiting each other, and then there are planets orbiting that system. You can imagine that sort of thing. And maybe one of those uh, became a black hole. Um, it might have been that it, 
it, uh, it happened with some sort of cataclysmic explosion, as often happens, called a supernova explosion, a type 2 supernova explosion. That may well have obliterated all the life uh, nearby. But let's say, let's, let, let's say it didn't. Um, then you could, you could, that could actually be a, a rather unusual, from our perspective, but a, a home for, uh, for that form of life. Or another possibility is that you have some star-faring species that intentionally seeks out a black hole and decides to um, settle around it. They either build an object which orbits it, or they, they, they occupy some planetary matter that is orbiting that, that black hole, and that becomes their star system. It turns out you can actually mine black holes for energy in a certain kind of way. And they would be among the most efficient sources of energy if you could do the kind of engineering you would need to, to exploit it. So maybe there are super advanced civilizations that are living around black holes. Sorry, I was just going to say that literally sounds like Peter's wearing a T-shirt that says that's a story for another what if. Mining black holes for energy is exactly a story for another what if. That is so cool and not something I think we've we've even heard about here, but we will explore it. Um, lots of mysteries around black holes and a lot of misconceptions about black holes. So thank you, Professor Johnson, for helping us clear some of those up. Uh, we're going to we're going to have a, a longer conversation with Professor Johnson on the other side. Before we do, where's the best place for people to follow your work? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, I would say they could probably uh, either find me through my blog or through uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Um, it's probably best just to Google me. I, I, my handle on those things is usually something called asymptosha, but telling you to spell that. Uh, it's easy if you just Google my name and physics and you'll find me. And uh, a nice compact way is to, is to look at a, a, a graphic nonfiction book I wrote and drew a couple of years ago called The Dialogues, where actually I talk about some of these issues. Great stuff, Professor Johnson. Uh, not surprising, obviously. We always get to learn cool stuff here on What If Discussed. That's what we're here for. Um, if you had asked me prior, do black holes suck things in like a vacuum cleaner, as he so eloquently put it, I would have said yes. Yeah, that's what we've learned. That's I mean, what, or what we've seen in movies and TV. It's got to be and- 10 episodes of Star Trek based on it. Yeah. But as it turns out, that mass, that incredible mass actually just creates gravity. Some people will say tomato, tomato. But... I think it's a good clarification. What did you learn? I learned that uh, you can, I was really impressed that you could mine a black hole. That sounds, cool. uh, I mean, I haven't learned more about, enough about that because I want to ask him that sort of stuff on the other side. So uh, we will continue our discussion with Professor Johnson on the extended audio version of the podcast. So uh, if you would like to join us for more, just click on the link below. If you're already listening on the audio podcast, there's nothing for you to click. Just stay with us. We'll be back with more Professor Johnson. Otherwise, thanks everyone for joining us on What If Discussed. Welcome back to What If Discussed. We are talking black holes with the University of Southern California professor of physics, Clifford Johnson. Professor, Hi. what are some of the aspects of a black hole that ultimately determine 
how it affects its surroundings. Now, I know that's I don't know if that's worded right, but I mean, like, you know, it seems that its mass, its density, the size, obviously, we talked about earlier, spin rates, all of those things seem to ultimately affect what it affects. Is that a is that an accurate way to say that? That's great. Uh, how it interacts with its surroundings uh, is 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 crucial, and those uh, sometimes uh, come from what its origins are. How was it formed? And that will, of course, determine things like how much mass it has. But the, one of the most important other parameters is how much it's rotating. How much spin does it have? You know, just like the Earth rotates, you can imagine a, a black hole spinning as well. The key thing, as you know, from uh, everyday mechanics in our everyday lives is that uh, if you started out really big with some amount of spin and then you shrink down, you actually end up spinning faster. That's called uh, co- uh, um, conservation of angular momentum. And we're all familiar with that. You watch the ice skater do that sort of oh, yeah, routine yeah. where they, they pull their arms in and then they do that amazing spin. So that happens with black holes a lot. So actually most black, black holes have some amount of spin. And uh, in many cases, uh, it's, an, it's a lot of spin. So that turns out to be a major factor in how it interacts because it is uh, possible then that as the black hole interacts with its environment, which might be dust and gas left over from other stars or maybe the star that it formed from or stuff that's just passing by, that'll get tangled up in that, in that, in that spinning motion because the space-time itself around the black hole is in some sense being twisted up by that spin. Its gravity is so intense. And that can produce phenomena, which is among the ways black holes were first confirmed uh, where the black hole spinning is sort of like a dynamo that's allowing it to generate uh, jets of particles that then get thrown off into space and become amongst the most powerful uh, uh, high-energy events you can see in the universe. So, so uh, uh, the spin is hugely important, um, and, and uh, that's, that's one of the big signatures of a lot of black holes. Uh, you talked earlier about uh, event horizons, but uh, we didn't dive in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> little, little cosmology joke. The, this is the only visible part of a black hole. Is that right? Well, uh, okay. Visible is w- – w- let, let's, let's, let's unpack what we mean by visible. What, what does it mean for me to be looking at any object and seeing, uh, seeing it? And that is some complicated story involving the light coming and uh, either that thing is emitting some light due to some process or light is bouncing off it in a particular way and, and then coming to my eyes. So we can ask the same question about a black hole. Now, a black hole, um, classically, if you don't include quantum physics, and you can neglect quantum physics for large black holes, um, large sort of astrophysics-type black holes relatively uh, uh, correctly, then a, black, a pure black hole is not in itself producing any uh, uh, light at all because of what we said. It can't escape. Uh, so the issue then is we would see a black hole, quote unquote, by what it does to the light that's either passing near it or if there's stuff that is emitting light as it falls into the black hole. So black holes turn out to be visible in that sense because stuff's falling in and getting destroyed by the extreme gravity 
And when you, when you smash matter, when you excite it in various ways, it glows. That's basically how light bulbs work. Um, you're, you're, uh, you're, putting, uh, uh, you're putting extreme uh, kinetic motion in your typical generic uh, uh, light bulb and the stuff heats up and glows. And so that can happen in the neighborhood of a black hole. But you're not, and so it would be in the neighborhood of the event horizon, but it's not actually the black hole itself that is glowing so much as the effect it's producing on the stuff around it. Yeah, mysterious object. Well, I mean, Event Horizon has been the name of, you know, a, a classic sci-fi movie. We talked about it a little earlier as that sort of point of no return, if you will, crossing the Rubicon. Uh, Harvard Chair of Astronomy, Avi Loeb, just once described it as the ultimate prison wall. Because one can get in, but one can't get out. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Uh, as I said, um, essentially, there is a distinction between um, uh, what, what we would call qu quantum and classical physics in the following sense. One of the reasons uh, Stephen Hawking, who I'm guessing you may have heard of, mm -hmm. um, is famous is because he was one of the first people to realize that when you combine black holes with quantum physics, and we know our universe is a quantum universe, it obeys the rules of quantum mechanics, um, things change a little bit. That, that, that somehow there's, a, the, there's the one-way doorway that is the horizon from, from, from gravitational classical physics. And then it turns out that quantum physics doesn't play well with one-way doorways. And when you combine the two, you put the equations together, it was realized that in fact, there are processes by which quantum physics can steal energy from a black hole. And it ultimately means that they uh, effectively are radiating. Um, uh, and, and if you wait long enough, they will give up all of their energy. They should evaporate. Now, for again, for black holes that are the big sort that you know, come from stars or bigger, uh, the time you would have to wait is longer than the lifetime of the universe. So it, effectively, they don't evaporate. But in principle, um, small enough uh, black holes uh, would evaporate in some finite lifetime. And the question then is, uh, what does that mean? And does it, does it change that prison uh, uh, analogy that you just uh, talked about? And, and, the, and the answer is that it down. doesn't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, like, wouldn't, wouldn't you be, if, if your sentence happened to be 14 billion years, yeah. and, and it was just at the end of that existence of black hole, all of a sudden you're free. Well, there's a problem, because that, um, that stuff that comes out isn't in the same form that it went in. So it's like you, you go into the prison, but you come out in pieces. So yes. not Pros so good either way. So, uh, Yeah. So the black hole sort of chews it all up in a way and uh, sends it back out, maybe, if that quantum story is correct and we still don't know whether it is or not. Um, but uh, it's definitely not in the same nice form that it went in. So glass, glass half full, you're free. Glass yeah, half empty, you're cut up into a whole bunch of pieces. Um, right. Let's back the truck up a little bit to uh, the first half of the show where you mentioned mining a black hole. Now, if it's true, you cross the horizon and you die. How do we mine? How do we how do you mine a black hole? 
Ah, that's a great question. This goes back, uh, and this is a lovely uh, 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 coincidence time-wise. You may recall that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was a Nobel Prize in physics. So Roger Penrose, uh, I think, was part of that. So among the people who were given that prize was Roger Penrose. And uh, so um, uh, the prize was, was, was split into two halves, if you like. There was some uh, very foundational theoretical work and also then key observational work actually showing that, uh, the, black hole, that the center of our galaxy has a black hole. Um, that was the work of Andre, Andrea Goetz, and I've forgotten the name of the other uh, fellow. But Roger Penrose's work um, really set down the foundations for so much of what we uh, understand about black holes theoretically. And one of those things he discovered is what's now called the Penrose process, which uh, wasn't actually cited uh, as part of the Nobel Prize work, but it's hugely important. And he realized that actually, if you have a black hole that's rotating, and as I said, generically, black holes in our real universe will have rotation. You can actually, there's energy in rotation, as you know. Uh, you, you, you know. We know from Einstein, there's equals mc squared. Some mass has some energy. I'm not talking about that. I'm also talking about the fact that there's energy that something has when it's rotating. You can actually steal some of that rotational energy. It'll slow down the rotation of the black hole a little bit. But you know, if it's a black hole that's the size of a star, Maybe that's a tiny amount, but for you, uh, that could be a huge amount of energy. And he actually came up with a realization that there are processes where you can throw in, in just the right way, you can throw an object toward the black hole. It goes into a region that isn't quite all the way in, that's the event horizon where you wouldn't get it back. But a rotating black hole has another region just outside it, which is called the ergo region. It's a long, long story as to why it's called that. But it's a region where if you threw it in in just the right way, and essentially it goes in and it splits apart, and some of it falls into the black hole, and some of it comes back out, and that stuff that comes back out gets a kick of energy, actually comes back out with more energy than you threw it in with. Hmm. And that is called the Penrose process. It's like dropping a and peanut. The reason in a, that in a is really rotating fan. great, yes, is because you can imagine, you know, doing that in some controlled way and build a whole power station around the black yeah. hole that's sort of throwing stuff in and mining what comes out and getting that energy and then using it to, you know, power a light bulb or an entire civilization. It speaks to your explanation and your articulation because as you're talking, as you were sort of laying it out, I I can picture it now. Mm -hmm. And to your point, you can picture them building some sort of, you know, apparatus that, again, exactly sort of lands on the middle part of where you need to be able to continuously bring the energy back out more energy than you, you put in, which is obviously a little better than how we create energy on this planet. But that's also a story for another what if. if. Um, lots to talk about. We could go on all day about black holes because, again, we're, we're still scratching the surface, I think, on what we will ultimately one day understand about black holes. What do you believe, you know, in the end, I mean, we will we will learn from black holes that will help us better understand where we came from and how we got here? 
Oh, I think they, I think they, are, they are fundamental to many of the questions that we've been asking for a long time. Uh, and that we've been asking most recently with regard to, if you like, sort of fundamental questions. Um, for example, of course, our home here, uh, we, we, live, uh, uh, we live on a planet in a sort of safe part of the solar system, which in turn is in a safe part of this galaxy. Uh, safe in the sense that it, there's not too much crazy stuff going on. So life as we know it, has a chance to uh, uh, take hold and evolve. And uh, so, but ultimately the whole galaxy is our home and the way it's engineered, the way it's set up is, is very conducive to, to, uh, to, to giving rise to us. But it's clear that black holes exist at the core of every galaxy or if you like, at least most of every galaxy that we know of. So one of the questions is, how essential are they to making galaxies be the way that they are? Um, and people also ask the question, which came first in some sense. Well, that, that's exactly where I was going. Like, it almost feels like, yeah, that's a real question is, do, do galaxies form from black holes? Like the balancing universe theory. Right. So one... The, 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 the whole question of the seeds of what forms a galaxy um, in the very, very early universe, that little over-density of, of uh, matter and energy that eventually coalesces into a galaxy, uh, that also seems to produce a supermassive black hole at some point. And then how the whole galaxy evolves and becomes... Uh, sort of striated out into the different hierarchies of, of uh, inner and outer and all of that stuff and nurseries for stars forming and things like that. That's all part of that big story of the life of the galaxy. So the black hole isn't just an addition to that. It's crucial to that in ways we're still understanding. So our understanding of black holes will ultimately uh, help us understand ourselves in some, in some very large sense. Also, the very nature of space and time at the quantum level, which is things that I work on, which is important for understanding the origin of the whole universe. Mm -hmm. Those are things that uh, are, are investigated uh, most fruitfully right now by using the black hole as the, as the sort of laboratory of ideas for how space and time work at the quantum level. And so there are a lot of us, you know, following in the tradition of some of the things that I told you came from, from Stephen Hawking and, Penrose and others like that, trying to put the quantum and the classical together in the gravitational context to understand the very birth of the universe in space and time requires us to understand black holes. And, and in getting it right for black holes, that'll help us get it right for the whole universe. So again, on a theoretical side, black holes are incredibly um, key to our ultimate understanding of you know, the things we care about, the, you know, the universe is where we put our stuff. So we need to understand it. <laughs> yeah. Impossible to overstate its significance. No doubt. Great stuff. That was a real mic drop there at the end. Uh, I think you really captured exactly why we'd want to be a asking what if a solar system uh, orbited a black hole, but really just be why are black holes important and worthy of discussion here on what if discussed. So uh, again, just a quick reminder, uh, any social media handles or any, any, I, I know you mentioned the book earlier, anything else where you'd want to guide people to be able to follow your work? 
Oh, uh, like I said, I think um, I'm probably most active on uh, uh, Twitter and um, Instagram in terms of things that you might give you glimpses of what I'm up to, whether it be a sketch of an idea or, you know, what I'm up to in my garden or whatever, whether it be physics or beyond. And then oftentimes from there, uh, it'll be an easy hop to my, um, to my, uh, to my blog. Uh, where you can find more and longer discussion or longer presentations of some of the fun stuff. And I'm, I'm starting to develop ideas for, my, for, for a follow-up to my dialogues book. And I'll probably be posting sketches and ideas as I did in the lead up to the previous one. So come join. I encourage people to, to Google uh, Professor Clifford Johnson from USC because he has lots of fascinating other discussions also on YouTube as well. Uh, as you were able to find out today, very articulate and helping express complicated questions into discernible answers. And Guys you like, should really see what he's doing in his garden. Yes, of yeah. course. I mean, obviously, who doesn't want? And these days, it's always important to keep a good garden. But that's also a story <laughs> for another What If. Yep. Professor Johnson, thanks for joining thanks us so today much. on What If Discussed. Such a pleasure. Stay safe. Wow. I could talk black holes all day. I mean, that's that's an odd thing to say, and I can guarantee I never thought there'd be a day in my life where I would be saying that. But it's not so much, because it's highly theoretical, again, as we talked yeah. about. We've never really seen black holes until recently. Until, and that's, yeah. you know, one shot, really. One of, shot. Everything of, else is an artist rendering. Yes. Yeah. So you have these types of guys, yeah. professors of physics, who mathematically, theoretically figure some stuff out. We know we're approaching a new era where we're going to know a whole lot more. We're going to be able to see a lot new more. telescopes. But we forget that essentially whatever we can sort of figure out about black holes, that's taking us to a whole new level of understanding the universe, which in a weird way will ultimately help us one day better understand ourselves. Well, it's it's like a changing of the age, like going from yes. the Stone Age to the Iron Age to the Good Space to Age to the Telescope Age. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's what they're going to call it, but, you know, we'll look back in history and see, oh, this was the time before you could see this far into space. Mm -hmm. And this was the time after you could see this far into space. And that's crazy in that, again, back in the day, it was people looking up and pointing. Now we're, you know, on the verge of being able to see stuff that will answer mysteries that have literally occupied some of the greatest minds who have ever been on this planet for decades, if not centuries. And we're living at a time where we're going to be able to understand that. And with the help of people like uh, Professor Clifford Johnson, we understand a little more today. Will we be considered smarter than those people who have preceded us? Good. So this is a good point because I, I think it's important to make that differentiation because I would say we will be considered more knowledgeable because we have more information. Smart that's a story for another what if. <laughs> We'd like to thank Professor Clifford Johnson once again from USC for joining us on today's What If Discussed. Now, if you want more What If, well, you can watch us on YouTube or sign up for the What If Explorers Club newsletter. There's tons of cool science stuff. You find out what Richard and I are doing here behind the scenes, the rest of the crew of What If. Yeah, so to sign up, go to whatifshow.com. That's whatifshow.com. That's it for today, Richard. Uh, let's say goodbye. We're going to see everybody next time on What If Discussed.